This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, preparing for the arrival of Donald Trump. He's holding a rally this evening at Cecil Airport in Jacksonville, much to the dismay of these Florida veterans. His contempt for American heroes like Senator John McCain or his disdain for gold star families who don't happen to support him are deeply offensive to me. Donald Trump has torn this country apart for his personal gains. Would you trust, work with, work for, or defend or befriend someone who views you and calls you a loser or a sucker? Anyone attending the president's rally has to sign a liability waiver that takes away their right to sue if they contract COVID-19. Speaking of coronavirus, the state education commissioner says the reopening of public schools has been a model for the rest of the country. The massive reopening that we have done, more than any of the other 49 states, it has been, as of today, an overwhelming success. Um, not only in the safety for the students, the safety for the personnel, but in the instruction that students are getting has been an overwhelming success. I think we're a model for the rest of the nation. As for those 18,000 students and teachers now in quarantine because of COVID-19, Richard Corcoran says the health department is just being too strict. He said that as the Department of Health reported 203 more fatalities from COVID-19 and almost 2,600 new cases of coronavirus. Today on Sunrise In-Depth, a deep dive into the clemency hearing for Desmond Mead, a former felon who is executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. He asked for a pardon. It didn't happen. That's one of the reasons why we started at Florida Rights Restoration Coalition to change the clemency system, because it is arbitrary. You know, I mean, it's very arbitrary. We'll also have your calendar of events and check in with a Florida man who stole blood from a clinic, a veterinary clinic. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, September 24th, known in some circles as National Cherries Jubilee Day. 18,000 students, teachers, and school personnel across the state are now quarantined after testing positive or being exposed to COVID-19. But other than that, Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran says everything's going pretty well now that most of the schools are open again. The massive reopening that we have done, more than any of the other 49 states, um, the numbers that we're seeing, um, it has been, as of today, an overwhelming success. Um, not only in the safety for the students, the safety for the personnel, but in the instruction that students are getting has been an overwhelming success. I think we're a model for the rest of the nation. 95% uh, of our school readiness and VPK providers are open and in-person. All Florida colleges are open and in-person. Uh, all our technical colleges are open in-person. And all 74 brick-and-mortar K-12 school districts are open and in-person with Broward, Miami-Dade, and Palm Beach uh, open for special need kids. Uh, Palm Beach ramped up this week and Broward and Miami data ramp ramping up over the next couple of weeks. Once those guys ramp up and are there, we'll have 1.8 million of our 2.8 million school children um, in face-to-face -face instruction, uh, which is leading the nation. And while thousands of children and adults have been ordered into isolation after being exposed to the virus, Corcoran says it's not as bad as it sounds. He believes the health department is too quick to quarantine. The Department of Health is, we would say, is too aggressive. We have about 18,000 people, students and personnel, who have been, um, by the Department of Health, have said, we need you to you know, go home and quarantine for 14 days because you've been exposed to somebody in the school system. Of those 18,000, then the Department of Health does a great job of tracing it back, trying to figure out how, it, how and 
uh, it happened and whether it happened in the school system. And, you know, we're below 50 of those cases um, have been traced to the school itself, which is a worldwide stat that you're not, you're not seeing. It's basically a little over two per thousand people um, of uh, exposure. It's an amazing stat. The, the school districts are doing an amazing job. Um, and, uh, and, and we believe that it's only going to get better. Corcoran made those comments during a meeting of the State Board of Education, and one of the board members called him out. Mike Olnick thinks the commissioner is wrong about some of his stats, and he wants the state to do a better job informing Floridians about what's going on in schools by posting information and infection numbers for every school in the state. What I don't quite understand, and I, I'm going to take exception with some of the statements you made regarding statistics, I don't think that I agree nor do I think that science agrees with some of your statements on transmission. And in fact, part of the problem we have in the state is that there is no uniform platform that would have a dashboard of statistics. And in fact, when you made a comment to me the other day that teachers were far greater in terms of COVID testing or COVID positivity, than students, I realized that I, I couldn't find that information, so I went to different dashboards, which is what I was forced to do. Some counties have dashboards, other counties don't have dashboards. So what I found in my limited study is in fact, it's the opposite. Students are actually testing more or, or testing positive more than teachers. But with that said, Commissioner, I, I guess my ask is this. There's no way to measure success or failure in this without having a uniform platform. If the Department of Health has a pediatric dashboard every day or every week, and we get information from districts, why can't we coordinate with the Department of Health and have a, a statewide dashboard like many of the states in this country? So I guess my question to you, sir, is can we work with the Department of Health? Can we work with the districts, develop a consistent and uniform data platform, a dashboard that would be public? And that way parents, teachers, support staff, a grandparent can open up that dashboard and see what is happening. And that would give a realistic snapshot to everybody in the state and also researchers, whether it's Johns Hopkins or Harvard, let's be honest about the things you said and stated about COVID. If, if that is the case and they're going down, then let's work with the Department of Health and make that dashboard available to every citizen in this state. I want, and I think what, what the public would want, would be a DOE, DOH combined website that looks at counties and schools. That's what I'm asking for. I don't want to see a generic pediatric report, which is what DOH gives me. I'm on the State Board of Education. I'm a grandparent. I want to see statu I want to see each county in school, and that's what I'm asking for. So I wanted to make sure that you and I were on the same page. When you said it's readily available, I couldn't find it, and I think you answered it. It's not on DOE's website. Commissioner Corcoran offered the usual excuses about the lack of COVID data, saying they were restricting it because of federal privacy regulations. But he did promise Olnick his lawyer would work on it. 
203 more names have been added to Florida's list of COVID casualties. The health department also reported 2,590 new infections Wednesday. If you're keeping score, there have now been 13,782 fatalities in Florida and more than 690,000 confirmed cases. Donald Trump is in Jacksonville tonight for a rally at Cecil Airport. His campaign calls it the Great American Comeback Rally. Gates open at 4, the president speaks at 7. Tickets are required and they're first come, first serve. Now, Jacksonville's a military town, so Florida Democrats called out some of their veterans to launch a preemptive attack on the president. Dave Rogers is a retired Navy commander who spent half his career at Naval Station Mayport in Jacksonville. I've long been deeply troubled and personally offended by President Trump's demeanor and conduct, especially as it relates to his attitude toward military service. His contempt for American heroes like Senator John McCain or his disdain for Gold Star families who don't happen to support him are deeply offensive to me, especially from a man of wealth and privilege who has never served this country, even in the office he now holds. Joe Biden is a decent man. He knows the value of service, the meaning of sacrifice, and the inextricable link between faith and honor. I believe Joe Biden will keep faith with our men and women in uniform and honor their service and sacrifice. The curse that is Trumpism stains everyone who embraces it, even my Congressman, John Rutherford. While the former sheriff has spoken out many times in support of law enforcement, he has never spoken out about the president's despicable comments or the reports of Russian bounties on US service members. 22 years of commissioned service instilled in me the Navy's core values of honor, courage, and commitment. Nowhere do I see those manifested in my current representative. Michelle Jones retired from the Army after reaching the rank of Command Sergeant Major. That is the second highest rank for non-commissioned officers. And Jones says she has never seen a commander-in-chief like Donald Trump. I served under four commanders-in-chief. At no time did I ever question their loyalty, support, admiration, respect, and gratitude for our military service. At no time did I ever question their unwavering commitment to do what was necessary to display courage, exhibit moral fortitude, and make ethical decisions to ensure that we, as service members, continue to have the confidence, support, and appreciation of the citizens of this country. I know that military service is not for everyone, and that's okay. However, the common yet heartfelt phrase said, said to each of us, thank you for your service um, is truly heartfelt um, to each and every one of us that has ever served. Approximately 1% of the US population serves in the military, but 99% reap the benefits of that service. The commander in chief's words, actions and deeds must never come into question uh, regarding the responsibility, respect, honor and duty to our service members and families. Never during my military career or in my life have I ever heard such disrespect, disregard, disparaging comments, and betrayal of my brothers and sisters in arms from a commander in chief. We have a saying in the army, never leave a fallen comrade. That's not just when we're at war. That's also when we come home especially those that have made the ultimate sacrifice with a flag draped coffin. We expect our commander in chief 
to be there. George Gillis served in Vietnam and retired from the Marines as a master sergeant. He says Trump has already proven he is unfit to command U.S. armed forces. Donald Trump doesn't deserve to be in the White House any longer. He doesn't know anything about serving with others, caring for others, and only for himself and his personal gains. We need a commander in chief who will allow himself to show compassion and strength for our military service members, men and women. We need a president that will back us up in time of war and in time of peace. By the way, if you're attending the president's rally tonight, masking up, it could be a problem. True believers rarely wear them at these crowded events, and people who do are often ridiculed. But you won't be admitted to the rally unless you sign a legal document acknowledging the inherent risk of exposure to COVID-19 and waiving any claim of liability for illness or injury against the president, his campaign, and anyone associated with the rally or the venue. Next up on Sunrise In-Depth, the man who led the drive to restore voting rights for Florida felons is denied a pardon by the governor and cabinet. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. Governor Ron DeSantis and the state executive clemency board are refusing to issue a full pardon to Desmond Mead, the 53-year-old Orlando man who spearheaded Florida's constitutional amendment restoring voting rights to former felons. Meade has past convictions for cocaine possession, battery, and illegal firearm possession, but things changed in 2005 after he checked into drug rehab. There are, however, still questions. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas wants to know if Meade's ex-wife has forgiven him for a domestic violence incident. We're not retrying the case, but what's important to me, because I believe you've made a difference in your life, and you've got somebody who loves you and other people behind you that love you, and I believe you made a difference in their life, but I need to know that they forgive you. That's a big deal to me. Domestic violence is deadly serious, okay? Another thing you got, uh, I don't know if you're applying for firearm um, permission, but I got a real problem giving you a gun when you beat up on law enforcement officers. I just, I, I, can't, I can't go there, I can't get there yet. But things that I need to sign off on this, um, you know, you got a strong family that is your cheerleaders, I get that, you know. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem even putting together a conditional suggestion if the governor is okay with it. But, you know, I want, I want Glenda and I want your brother. They don't have to come up here, but we can work through it. If they, if, and, and our, our folks can reach out to them. If, if, if they forgive you, heck, I can forgive you. Governor Ron DeSantis also mentioned the old domestic violence charge, but he's more concerned with Meade's dishonorable discharge from the Army for stealing government property 30 years ago. This military conviction, um, you know, we, we could just say wipe, wipe all the state out, but, but that, if, if you haven't addressed that military conviction, I think you're still going to be prohibited um, because that's, a, that's every bit as a criminal. It's a federal criminal offense. It's not a, not a state criminal offense. So um, I think, I think uh, CFO's got some questions about the domestic violence. I'm concerned about that too. Uh, obviously, with the police officer, you know, that's something that we're, we're concerned about. But I think that this military court martial, you know, I'd like to get a little bit more information on that. 
In the end, the governor decided to deny the request until those questions have been answered. Meade says the decision was entirely arbitrary, which is why he led the drive to pass Amendment 4, restoring voting rights to former felons, like himself, and also serves today as executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. He believes the clemency process itself is flawed. Yeah, I, that's one of the reasons why we started the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition to change the clemency system, because it is arbitrary, you know, I mean, it, it's very arbitrary. You can have someone that have not done half of the things that I've done uh, since turning my life around that can get it, and then someone like me would appear and, you know, you would think that it was a no-brainer, but, you know, there's no rhyme and reason, and, you know, just have to wait for the governor and uh, the rest of his cabinet to do whatever, go through whatever process they need to go through uh, to come to make a decision. But Desmond, do you think that if they would have had the clemency meetings throughout the year, you probably could have figured this out by this date? Well, you know, here's the deal. I, know I think that they have been investigating uh, me for several months, and I think that uh, whether or not they had extra clemency hearings, I think it wouldn't matter. I mean, they've had more than enough time. The state have employed a uh, considerable amount of resources to thoroughly investigate, and they have spoken to everybody who they needed to speak to. So I don't see why there was a need to, for further consideration. Everything that they should have known, they had ample time to know the, to have the answers to those questions. I first applied many years ago. Uh, uh, so far back, I can't remember. And um, because of, of the revised clemency policies in 2011, uh, my application was uh, rejected because it did not fall within the seven-year uh, waiting period that uh, Governor Scott's uh, administration had, had standard that they had set. And so I had reapplied uh, earlier this year, I believe, to, to be able to appear before the governor. Meade also believes the life he has led over the past 15 years is all the proof the governor and the CFO need to realize he really has turned his life around. You know, the governor said at the very beginning that they're not uh, 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 going to try what happened in the past. What they want to look at is what is the person doing right now? What have they done since that? And so I know that my track record, if he's saying that they're judging me on what I've done since I've committed my last crime, then I think that that track record is an exemplary track record because you're looking at a guy that, that turned his life around and graduated from law school, uh, one that has uh, had all kinds of accolades, one that has dedicated his life to community service, and no one could even dispute that, right? Um, I mean, and to have been a very influential person in the world for something that's good, uh, a person that has been championing, uh, creating a more inclusive democracy for everyone, a person that's been able to bring people together, whether they were conservative or progressive, I've brought people together and i brought them together uh, through love, right? And that's always been uh, uh, my method and my approach of, uh, on dealing with issues. And so. For someone like that to lay this thing out, you know, if, if you're judging by what we've done since we've done something wrong, then I, I, I have nothing else to prove. After rejecting his request, the governor told Meade he could apply again, but the next clemency hearing will not take place until December, so there won't be a pardon before the election. But thanks to Amendment 4, Meade's voting rights have already been restored. He wants the pardon because he's graduated from law school and cannot join the bar until his civil rights are restored. 
Their calendar of events begins at 8 with the meeting of the Florida A&M Board of Trustees. The Florida Supreme Court releases weekly opinions at 11. The Triumph Gulf Coast Board, which administers settlement money from the Deepwater Horizon disaster, meets by conference call at 1.30. That's Central Time. The Northwest Florida Water Management District meets in a conference call at 4, followed by a public hearing at 5 about their new budget. The Florida Department of Agriculture Hemp Advisory Committee holds a conference call at 4. The Florida International University Board of Trustees meets at 5.30 to talk about repopulating the campus during COVID-19. And the North Central Florida Regional Planning Council meets at 7. Finally today, deputies in St. John's County are searching for the Florida man who stole cat blood from a veterinary clinic in St. Augustine. Surveillance cameras recorded images of a man with a backpack and a skateboard walking up to the Anastasia Cat Clinic and checking out what's known as a blood box. That's where they leave samples for the testing company. Twenty minutes later, the same guy showed up in a van and took the box, plus the four vials of cat blood inside. Total cost of the blood and the box? About $600. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.